Let us now pray and ask for the Lord's blessing upon his word. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you with thanksgiving that you have called us into your presence. We rejoice in your grace and mercy for the forgiveness of our sins for Jesus' sake. We ask now that your holy word, sharp as a two-edged sword, cut us up. Heavenly Father, rearrange us and conform us to your Son, Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight for the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So are we, we are continuing our study in the book of Colossians. We're, we're only in week two, uh, but we can be encouraged that God has sent his truth to us in his word. And if you haven't been here, don't worry about it. Each sermon stand alone. I encourage you, if, if you miss a week or by God's providence you're not, not able to be with us, um, you can find um, our, our audios of these available on a variety of methods. But let us today now ask God and, and for understanding and wisdom. So let us hear God's word from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light." He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of God, His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood for the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. So, as we prepare to look at this passage, I want to remind us of good Bible study methods, right? So, when we hear God's Word, we always want to consider its context. We want to know what was said before it, what was going to be said after it. We want to understand to whom it is being written, what is being said, what were the questions that were trying to be answered, like in this particular passage here. What we want to recognize is that no portion of Scripture stands alone or by itself. That is to say, it fits in God's overall plan and message to us. And so to simply grab a verse here or grab a verse there, that can be fine in a topical application. But when we are studying a book of the Bible, we want to consider its whole context. Last week we mentioned that Colossae was a small town outside of Ephesus, about 100 miles and a little bit farther to its east was Laodicea. So Colossae was just a small town, not of much significance, except for the fact that God sent Epaphras 
a pastor to that city to proclaim the gospel, and God established a church there, a church that needed to hear what the church is to be, what God has done, and how they should respond to God's word. We see here that Paul called all those in the church in Colossae saints. We see that in the first few verses. We need to remind ourselves that saints have sanctuary access. That, of course, the primary problem occurred at the Garden of Eden where man was expelled from the sanctuary. And so despite whatever else we think our problems are, our primary issue is that we do not have access to the presence of God. All the work of God's covenant promises were to bring people, God's people, back into sanctuary access. So all of his establishment of the covenant people, all the things he did with David, all the law and the prophets, all of that is to bring about sanctuary access. Remember that Jesus in his life, he does all these healings and miracles, and all of those things were things that those diseases, those hindrances were all things that prevented people from going into the temple and having even a little bit of access to God. So Christ's life from the very beginning was designed and he fulfilled creating sanctuary access for his people. And of course we see this at the very end in that dramatic scene where Christ is nailed to the cross, right? And he says, it is finished. And as he dies, what happens? That veil that was the final barrier to the, the, the sanctuary of God was torn from top to bottom. Not in any way that a man could do it, but by the work of Jesus Christ, God's people have sanctuary access. And so this is important. When Paul is speaking to the church in Colossae, he is saying, you are saints, you have sanctuary access. You are able, because of the work of Jesus Christ, to come into the presence of God. Now what does this mean? This means that we are to live our lives with gratitude and prayer. Right? Christ saved us, not because we were righteous, not because we were good, not because we brought anything to the table, but rather because he chose us before the foundations of the world, as it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. We need to respond in kind with gratitude, being so thankful, and knowing also that our loving Father wants us to bring our prayers and petitions and concerns to him. We see also in that first eight verses of, Col of Colossians that Paul has a gratitude for his fellow brethren and he wants the church of Colossae to have this as well. The saints right here among us, look around. Children, look around. The saints right here among us provide us opportunity to give thanks to God. First of all, because God is working in their lives. We should rejoice when God brings salvation and change and growth in him into the lives of the people around us. We should give thanks for their edifying works. All right, when I say that, we should give thanks because they come and they bump into us and our sinful nature, our selfishness, it pours out of us when we get bumped. Right? That's an edifying work. Sometimes we think it's when people come and surround us and love us, and that's true. Those are the edifying works that we love. We want more of that. In reality, what we want to say is, Lord, show me what's in my heart that I may confess it. Right? So when our children try us, parents. Children, when your parents try you. 
Be thankful to God for the works they are doing. When your neighbor in this community here or in the greater world challenges you, thank God for the work they are doing in your life. And we want to, of course, in this, give thanks for the edifying works and rejoice in their sanctifying works. We should rejoice and actually thank God for His transforming work in others' lives so that we can rightfully thank Him for His work in our lives. Now we see again in, in, here in Colossians chapter 1 where there is a similar pattern, and we find this pattern in Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, and here in Colossians 1, where Paul kind of outlines a methodology of praying. And we see this in the Psalms as well. But I want to point out just this real quick to you. One, we are to give thanks to God for creation and life. We see this here in verse 4 where he talks about the people of God having life and life in Christ. We are to give thanks for the redemption of Christ. We saw that later on in, in verse 6 and 7 where Christ is the hope that brings the gospel and this brings fruit in our lives. And finally, we are to ask God to finish the good work that He's begun in us. That is, to bring us to maturity in Him. And this is the final stage of the pattern. And this begins in our text today in verse 9, where we will continue looking at this text. Now, all of this goes into helping us understand what it means to walk with God and grow to maturity. Many of us in this room have somewhere in our house a place where we mark the physical growth of our kids. Right, children? Is that right? Your parents ever take a pencil and maybe in a door jam or on a wall somewhere mark the heights of each kid as you grow? Now, outside growth doesn't usually coincide with maturity and gracefulness. Right? I've seen some people where God has blessed them with extreme size. They grow really fast, and their coordination is everywhere, right? Or you see a person who's grown a lot, and when you look at them, you think they're a lot older than they are, and you're confused as to why they don't behave like an adult, and you find out they're only 12. <laughs> now, those situations can create a lot of humor but it teaches us something that what we see on the outside doesn't necessarily reflect growth and maturity on the inside. We also see this in our children when it comes to vocabulary. Oftentimes, our children's vocabulary exceeds their ability to read the situation, right? Or to know that they shouldn't say that at all. Of course, the question is, where do they learn that, right? And again, we find places where kids say things and we're flabbergasted and in some cases absolutely embarrassed, right? So just because you have knowledge of something, like a word, doesn't mean you know how to use it right. All of this drives us to understand that in our life with Christ, it doesn't matter what the outside looks like. Someone can come in here dressed in a suit and tie every week and the inside of their heart isn't full of growth and maturity. Some people can be around a long time and so they look big and they've been in the church a long time. And yet, they haven't grown in maturity. 
it is important that we understand that we are to be growing in doctrine. We are to be growing in taking that doctrine, that information in our head, and translating it into how we live. And we need to do this with gratitude and love that culminates in acts of obedience to God. Now, of course, when we get into these sorts of things, I always want to start out with that we can stand upon God's faithfulness in His mercy and grace towards His people. We are reminded that if we repent of our sin, our failures, He certainly does forgive us. But the Christian life is one of growth and maturity. We cannot languish in our sin. Romans 6.1 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? People of God, we belong to Christ. We are to learn of God, and we are to grow into the fullness and completeness of God. We are to grow into maturity. Philippians 1.6 says this, Being confident of this very thing, that is, being in fellowship with the gospel, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We should be asking God each day to complete the work that he has begun. So Paul in verse 9 is asking for God to complete the good work that he began in the saints of Colossae. So let's hear this. He says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So that call is prayer. And what are they praying for? That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Oh my goodness. All of a sudden, we were feeling good. Christ forgives us. We know we got to look at maturity. And then he hits us with this. It seems to be a heavy burden. Remember God's grace, but remember that God is calling us to grow in him, to be conformed to Christ Jesus. This is a prayer asking God to bring fulfillment and maturity to these saints. That is, knowing God more fully. What does God, knowing God more fully look like? Well, he says here, filling, being filled with the knowledge of his will. In order to do this, we need to learn God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We should read the word. Listen to sermons, podcasts, and we often listen to our favorite teachers. We often recognize the need for other people to hear God's truth and respond with repentance. We need to clearly see that God's will in our own life opposes the inventions of men. Each of us has parts of God's word or particular doctrines that we like, and other truths of God's word we don't care for because we love the inventions 
of men. Even as saints with sanctuary access, we have itching ears that want to be scratched. Sin provides a motive to rationalize ideas in our minds. Oftentimes you'll hear somebody say, hmm, we need to study this topic. And we need to make all kinds of arguments and look at all sides. Not so that they can be obedient, but so that they can justify their lives and the way that they are living. Most of us in this room, however, we do actually want to know God's will for our lives. We must remember that our minds, emotions, our own and our own rationalizations are nothing but a pack of liars. Let me say that again. We must remember that our minds, our emotions, and our own rationalizations are nothing more than a pack of liars. You and I, we cannot think clearly until we are honest about our sin. If we do not ask God to provide knowledge of His will and repent of our sin as He reveals our sin to us, we will stay in a life full of intellectual futility and darkness. In a life of repentance, we will have knowledge in all wisdom and understanding. We cannot cling to our sin and expect wisdom and understanding to be applied to our lives. When we ask God to know His will with wisdom and understanding, it is not so that we are, or, or, or it is not that, so that we can become more intellectually superior or more holy in our own thoughts alone, but it is to change the way we speak react, and live. We are to walk worthy and in a pleasing way to the Lord. This only happens when we are looking to be proficient in God's school, that is, in His Word. We are to take heed and regulate our whole lives according to God's will, renouncing our own understanding. This happens in our lives all the time. We hear God's word, and we, we become just like Satan in the garden. Hath God really said? Is that really what he meant? I know what it says right there. And, of course, I've always encouraged you, if you come across a passage of Scripture and you're not certain, what do you do? What, what do other Scriptures say about it? Go find two or three reliable witnesses, people you respect, or teachers that you know have taught the word faithfully. What do they say on it? And if you find that you are wrong, humbly come before God, repent of your sin, and be restored. Change the way you think. Remember, Proverbs 16, 25 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end is the way of death. We must say goodbye to our sinfulness. John 8. We are to be fruitful in all good works. Increasing in the knowledge of God is a call for us to take and be fruitful in what we do every day. It can't simply stay between our ears. You know, it's interesting. This petition is an ongoing, almost uh, reciprocal growth. Knowing God's will in wisdom and understanding brings grateful actions, pleasing to the Lord, and fruitfulness 
and every good work, which brings an increasing knowledge of God. Do you see that? It's going around. God continues to work in your life. You should be growing to maturity. It isn't simply that if I do a few things here that it brings no fruit. The fruit of being obedient and conforming yourself to God's word brings about more fruitfulness and you understand God better. We need to continue to ask God to do this and recognize how God works in our lives. God speaks and enlightens us and we respond with joyful gratitude in our actions every day. And God keeps giving us his gifts, and we respond, and it just keeps going. God speaks, we respond. We understand, we live faithfully. Then God gives us speaks and gives us gifts and just continues. What a blessing how God works in our daily lives. Have you ever considered, again, I mentioned this when we were going over child rearing, you speak to your children again and again, and sometimes you say, why are they not getting it? How many times have I said this to you? Every parent in the room has uttered that. And God does this to us, and he's full of grace. But what happens when our kids hear the biblical reproof and God works in their lives, and with joyful gratitude they walk in obedience? They grow. And then what happens? We come to the next layer, and we're challenged, and we have to grow. We see that God, or excuse me, that Paul continues to ask God to work in their lives. He says this, being strengthened in glorious power and might. Why? For what? We need God to give us courage and unshakable steadiness in our faith and trust in his providence each day. He says this because in the next passage he says, for all patience and long suffering. What is patience? It's endurance. It's consistency. It's steadfastness and perseverance. So part of this is we need to understand that these things are going to be a struggle, and we need to ask God to help us to have patience and long-suffering, to be steadfast, to have the courage to stand and face and confess our own sins. Because you know what? Sometimes that's really hard, isn't it? Our pride gets in the way, and we don't want to confess our sins. We need to rejoice in what God does to help us in this way. All of this, all of these petitions we ask, as we ask God to work in our life, He's going to do it. And thankfully, sometimes when we don't ask, He's going to work in our life to sanctify us, to call us out. Right? How should we respond when our sin is exposed? Our normal reaction is not joyful gratitude. But it needs to be. Right? When something happens, when a challenge happens, is your first thought, keep your mouth closed and say, Okay, God, how do I give thanks for this? Are we living and trusting God's work and providence in our lives? All of this causes us, because, you know, right now we're saying, man, this stuff still seems overwhelming. But you know what? We see in these next verses that our gratitude comes from the deliverance that he's given us for being partakers as his saints. 
We have so many distractions that clamor for our attention. We lose sight that we, as the saints of God, have sanctuary access to the God who gives us gifts, including some gifts that seem to be hardships. But God's immense grace, before time began, He called us, He predestined us to be saints, not because we brought good things to Him, but simply in His gracious kindness, He qualified us in Christ Jesus. We should give thanks to God for His gift of the Son, so we can be partakers of His inheritance. Verse 12 tells us this. It says this, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. God chose us. He qualified you through Jesus Christ to be free from the bondage of sin. And he has made you a partaker in Christ's inheritance. What is Christ's inheritance? Psalm, tells, Psalm 2 tells us it's seeing the nations converted and being used to that end. You know, we often have doubts in what God is doing. How is he glorified in these circumstances? How are the nations being discipled and converted? I don't know. Here's the question. Do we give thanks to God for both his general providence and our daily providences? Are we giving thanks to God for the people in our lives? What about the physical challenges in our lives? What about the challenges in our businesses or in our families or in our health? You know, Romans 8.28, and many of you have heard this many times, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to His Son. If we go down to verse 30, it says, Moreover, whom He predestined, He called, and whom He called, these also He justified, and whom He justified, these He glorified. We go through our lives and we struggle to see how God is working in our lives and how in any way is this going to be good and bring Him glory. But we need to remember He is doing the work and He will complete the good work that He has begun in us. We need to remember that in spite of all of those, these things we've talked about here this morning that might seem overwhelming, that God himself, through the work of Jesus Christ, called us. He has justified us. And God is working his will in you, and you will be his glory. And we see that in Ephesians 5. We are to respond in confident gratitude because we can thank God. And it is because we can, we can thank God in this way because it's not in our own strength. Our assurance is not in ourselves, but it is in the work of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15 says, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. 
all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn, from the dead, in all things he may have preeminence. People of God. Jesus is the revealed image of God. We know God through Jesus. Jesus is over all creation. Why? Because all things were created by him. The Father willed it, and Jesus fulfilled the Father's will, not just here on earth, but also in heaven. Jesus made everything, including the invisible forces of physics, to the smallest and invisible life anywhere. Jesus created all areas of power and influence, all governments, the church, the family, the civil magistrate. They're all his. No power or influencer that exists was created by their own will, but he created them, and they exist because of him. And because of this work in Jesus Christ, we are partakers of his inheritance, this world and the people in it. Jesus was vindicated and glorified by the Father at his resurrection and ascension. And Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, and we who are in Christ Jesus are, by the work of Christ, God's children. We can stand firmly and be assured that as hard as some of these things are, that Jesus is the reason you're here, that you have life, that you are serving him, that you're in this church today, and that whatever challenges and difficulties and providences that God puts in your life, Christ is with you. You can trust in him and believe in him. Romans 8.16 tells us this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs to God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And that suffering is the providences and the challenges that God puts in your life. Sometimes it's more evident. But live long enough and they'll seem bigger and more overwhelming in time. When we face the challenges of life, we need to remember that the chief trouble for all men is that we need to make peace with God by being reconciled to Him. We cannot do this ourselves. Verse 19 and 20, they tell us this, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Our deliverance from our sins and our continued growth in God for His glory comes from Christ Jesus' work by the Spirit, through the Word, and our joyful gratitude in response to all that God is doing in our daily lives. God is truly finishing the good work He has begun in us, and He is glorified by His completed work in us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the life you've given us. We thank you for the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that by your faithfulness, you are completing the good work in our lives. Thank you for all you're doing. Help us to respond to your word 
and be fruitful in it. For Jesus' sake, amen.